guys, thanks for tuning in today to Monday School. Um, what I'm going to be talking about is is kind of going along the other episode that was released. I think I think I'm going to release these on the same day. Uh, yeah. So the first the first one is about profits, and this one is about um, having higher expectations. And so, I hope you enjoy. It's going to be there's going to be a couple parts where I you know, get cut off and have to restart, but. I think it'll be a good one and a good follow-up to uh, that episode on profit. So thanks so much. Excited for you to listen. So I'm on my way to uh, work. Before that, I have to stop at the post office. Uh, I was I was thinking about this uh, last night and then two nights ago. And um, I woke up this morning and I was just like... I feel like I just want to talk about it. So this is, I think, going to be a, a similar type of conversation, probably to the critiques, my very first episode, which I, I think sets kind of the tone for the entire podcast, like what this is about. I also think it'll be similar to this Prophets episode that I think is coming out um, on August 3rd. Uh, I don't know the longest one I've done. And it's because I feel super passionate. I, part of me wants to like combine this one with that one. But, um, as I just hear myself even thinking about what I want to talk about today, I I think I might just have to do it either a double episode, uh, on Monday or space it out or something. But basically what I am thinking about is how, the church has kind of forced us to hold it to a higher level of criticism um, because of what it claims to be. The church claims to be God's only true church on the face of the earth with prophets who literally speak to and for God. And I know that there are people that are maybe trying to soften that. Patrick Mason's one of them where he's like, well, yeah, only true means that we are the only ones with the authority, but we're not the only truth. I mean, there's other people that have truth for sure. Uh, and, and so he has this whole analogy of like a, a garden and how the Mormon church is, you know, the priesthood. So it has that, but then the other churches are doing other things and in, in, in the garden, et cetera, et cetera. And, and to be honest, I think that's a way better way to approach uh, the role of, of Mormonism in the world than, than what has been taught throughout forever. The problem with that is um, that's not what Mormonism has claimed to be ever, right? So ultimately, I think that there's a there's a problem here because the church has claimed to be something so miraculous and so spectacular and then it's just simply not what the somebody just weirdly cut me off because that's how people drive here in utah whatever anyway um so I'm, i'm thinking about that i'm thinking specifically about uh the there's two things maybe that i just want to talk about today uh, that that have elements of higher criticism or that that we should be critiquing the church at a at a more strict level on 
the first one is about the coronavirus <laughs> and how the church has handled that. And, and I'll explain. And then the second one is actually um, what the church does with their billions of dollars. Uh, so I got to drop this package off real quick and then uh, I'll get back to it. Okay, I'm back. Oh, I love when there's no lines at the post office or anywhere. I actually really like um, people or how do I phrase this? I think I like humanity, but I don't like people or sometimes I like people, but I don't like humanity. I, I don't know. Probably both. I don't, maybe that's human. Maybe it's not like a human feeling to have. I, I'm, I am human. But anyway, my what I'm maybe basing... I already know how people are going to respond to this, which is kind of uh, fun for me. I love seeing people's reactions. But Joseph Smith, who I've talked about at least in one aspect, is extremely problematic, has an interesting quote where he says, I've tried for a number of years to get the minds of the saints prepared to receive the things of God. Okay, so he's tried for a long time. He said, but we frequently see some of them after suffering all they have for the work of God, meaning they've given a lot to the church, they've done a lot in order to be Mormon or to believe in Mormonism or what have you. He says, after suffering all they have for the work of God, will fly to pieces like glass as soon as anything comes that is contrary to their traditions. They cannot stand the fire at all. <laughs> oh, boy. Like I said, I, I have some problems with Joseph, but that that's a that's a good, accurate quote. That the minute traditions are called into question, people fly to pieces like glass. But no, you're wrong. Why are you anti-Mormon? Man, I have had so many people message me, be like, why are you so against the church? I'm like, listen, man, I'm critiquing the church, but that doesn't make me anti-Mormon. Okay? And and the fact that so many people are like, so are you still active? Are you like the people want to place these boundary markers so that they know, like I've literally had people say, well, if you responded and said, yeah, I'm not really Mormon, the person would be like, uh, I, I want to actually critique or, or think about what you're saying that much. What? What is that? Things are only true if somebody who believes what you believe says them like uh, that's shocking to me. But anyway, point is, is that I'm sure people will fly to pieces like glass these episodes, uh, the prophet one, and um, also this one that I'm just talking about now. So do you guys remember when this whole COVID thing happened and people were kind of waiting for Mormon leaders to say something and they weren't saying anything? And there's this thing on Instagram that was going around like crazy that was like, how amazing is it that six months ago, our prophet said to prepare for home church. How amazing is it that a year ago we renamed our church to focus on Jesus or whatever. And then one of them is how amazing is it that we have a doctor as a prophet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, well, that's not amazing because he's not doing anything. Right. And I thought it was hilarious because um, I, I saw this thing last night that was basically like, hey, do you remember when like the church had a fast and then nothing worked. And then the church had a second fast and then nothing worked. And then the church said that government is, is harming religious freedom by saying that people shouldn't go to church. And then finally the church said, Oh yeah, well now you should wear masks. Like 
three months later, right? After like the, the center for disease control says, Hey, you should wear masks. Like, look, in some ways that's an unfair criticism because we really shouldn't be expecting these men. And they certainly are men to be more than what they are. However, I didn't come up with that expectation. That expectation of their role has been established by them and by the church itself. So we, we, can, we can definitely, I, I would be extremely happy to soften the expectations, to lower the expectations for what these leaders should be doing and saying and acting like. But I'm going based on the expectations that the church itself has set up. Or if the church says, no, you can't blame us for this. Like we're, we, we don't know. I mean, we have to trust the scientists. Okay. That's fine. So then why should we trust you guys when it comes to your opinion on uh, queer people? Why should we trust you on that? And, and people would be like, well, because we, they see the future and and they see from a, a long way off They're watchmen on the tower. Okay. Um, I guess I just have a problem with them claiming both. How can you be both a watchman and somebody who doesn't see things that are coming? Neither of them makes sense to me. So you guys can choose, uh, but right now you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth and that doesn't work. So we need to be having a different conversation. But anyway, my point is, is that if this, if, if these dudes were really what they have claimed to be for so long and what the churches claim them to be so for so long, which is people who see the future. Why could they not see a pandemic that was going to affect the entire world coming? What well, the only revelation they got was we should do home church for our minuscule church. That means very little to the entire global perspective or whatever. That's, that's the best they have. Um, like seriously, a manual that's, that's how, the people who talk to God and see the future prepared the world for a pandemic. I mean, not like, Hey, maybe you should wear a mask all the time. Hey, maybe there's this thing called social distancing that could be helpful. Like none of that, none of that came. And so, no, I'm not going to give Nelson credit for being a doctor when he's not even doing anything. Like they've been silent. And when they have spoken, it's been behind on things, not in front of things. It's just been, it's been a mess. Now, again, like I said, these critiques are maybe unnecessary if we have the perspective that, hey, they're just doing their best, which I absolutely think they probably are doing their best, but, but we can't do both. They can't both be, hey, they're just men doing their best. And they're also speaking directly for God all the time. Like it's not both. It's you speak for God or you are like, I guess what I'm saying is the church has made it so that it's black and white. It doesn't have to be, but the church has made it that way that you're either speaking directly for God, which is what they've claimed forever, or they're speaking as men. And the problem is you can only ever say they're speaking as men in, in uh, retrospect. You can only look back and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were speaking as a man there. But in the moment, you're expected to take it as the word of God, which is a problem. And if you receive a revelation that is contrary, I'm doing air quotes, to them on any subject, you're wrong. So you like that's a that's a problem. Because we know that you can just toss things out. Nelson has taught at BYU powerfully. He's like, prophets will always teach the truth. That's what he said. But 
in the church's own essay on on the race and the and the priesthood and temple ban, they say we disavow all teachings from leaders on this subject. So if prophets always teach the truth, why would you disavow? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be this way, but the church has made it this way. So if we're going to play by the, the rules that the church has created, then we need to hold them to a higher, uh, a higher standard. And it sucks for them, but they've done this to themselves, right? They painted themselves in this corner. Some of you might be saying, well, what do you, what do you want from them? What do you expect from them? Well, I, I was listening to a different podcast this week and, and it was pretty simple what they said, like, hey, stop hurting people and stop saying that you speak directly for God. Those are two pretty simple expectations. You can say, hey, we're doing our best to speak for God. We're attempting to speak for God. We are uh, trusting our own intuition, whatever. But to claim that you speak directly for God is a problem uh, because it has been shown to be demonstrably wrong over and over and over or delayed or behind or opinionated or whatever. So, so it's not cut and dry. The second thing that I kind of wanted to talk about here was on the church's, uh, I, I hope all of you have seen, it was, it was leaked from uh, what a whistleblower, somebody who basically uh, calls out their organization. So somebody was working for, the church in, in this, uh, investment firm, it's called Enzyme Peak because the church doesn't name it their name, even though it's owned by the church. Right. And they basically said, Hey, we, the church has massive, massive, massive assets to the tune of like $130 billion in at least one of these funds. And every year, you know, in interest, they're gaining $10 billion or some crazy amount. Right. And significantly more than what they are collecting from tithing. So like, look, I do actually think it's quite a a miraculous story considering the church was in debt for so long and now they're literally worth hundreds of billions of dollars, like billions, like lots of money. I think that's truly amazing. I also think that the reason why the church gets so much tithing is because they dangle eternal life over people's heads and they say, Hey, unless you pay 10%, you're not going to the temple. And if you don't go to the temple, then you can't be with your family forever. So I don't think it's super like, I don't know if honest is the right word, but I definitely think there's some alternative reasons why the church has gotten so much tithing, not just out of, we just have generous members. I I don't think that's what it is. Uh, Although there are certainly some people who are generous. But that's that's I kind of beside the point. Anyway, I can link to it in the in the show notes. But um, the Washington Washington Post picked it up. The church, you know, has around one hundred thirty billion dollars. They continue to make crazy amounts of money. Uh, the the boss of Enzyme Peak was asked, like, why do we have this money? Or, or even just explained in a meeting, he says, for the second coming. Well, what the hell do you need one hundred thirty billion dollars for when Jesus comes? Right. If Jesus is coming again, what do you need it for? Jesus is like, bring me my money. Like I need to get a nice fur coat or something. What? what, Like what? So, again, I think it is a a remarkable thing that the church has come this far. But I also think it's problematic that a church who claims to speak for God, especially a God who has claimed over and over and over that the most important duty we have is to take care of the widows and the poor. 
right? Pure religion and undefiled is this in James, where it says to, to feed the feed the naked or whatever the, the verse is. The point is, is that that is the single most important priority for Jesus and for God is to care for the poor and the widow. And the church says that they do so as well. And now some people will be like, the church does a lot of good. And look, the church does do good. That's not, that's not uh, de- necessarily debatable. They do good things. But to the scale that they should be doing good, are they? The With hundreds of billions of dollars, like I, I saw this thing again on Instagram that said like in order to, to solve world hunger, all that it takes is $30 billion a year. Well, the church could literally solve world hunger with all of the money they have. But instead, they want us to be proud that they gave like a million dollars to, I don't know, the Boys and Girls Club, which is good. That's, that's a good thing. But it's not good enough for a church, number one, that has billions of dollars, and number two, that claims to be God's only church. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? If they were just saying, hey, we're just, we're just a Salt Lake City church. We're trying the best we can. We're going to do as much good as we can. The criticism and, and the critiques would be way more minuscule. And minimal. We, I wouldn't. They wouldn't. We wouldn't have to be as hard on them as what we are. But the the fact is, is that they are making themselves into something way more. And so then they need to be held to a higher standard. And again, people will fly to pieces like glass if you question them. And so I think that's an interesting perspective where if this is, you know, if you resist this or if this is something that you want to uh, run from. I think it says more about you than it does about me. (laughs) I think demonizing somebody who walks away from the church is actually way more about you than it is about somebody who walks away. I think um, being mad at somebody who, like me, is critiquing the church is way worse, right, than somebody actually critiquing a church that claims to speak for God, right? Anything that is above critique soon becomes evil. That was the whole, that's how I started this entire podcast. So, what I'm saying, oh, and then the church like announced, you know, they have this thing, which is again, a good thing, but it's called the perpetual education fund where basically, you know, people pay into, um, a fund, like members of the church pay into a fund. They give, uh, loans to people who are underprivileged so that they can go to college and then they don't ask them to repay them until they're done with school, um, and, and have a job. And the purpose is to replenish that fund so that they can, uh, you know, other people can take advantage of the perpetual education fund. Again, a a great thought, especially when the church uh, maybe wasn't in a place where they were super wealthy. But the problem with it now is like they, they, they tweeted something where they basically said, like, because of COVID, we're deferring loan payments. Like, like it's supposed to be a generous thing. And it is somewhat generous. But you have a hundred, at least $150 billion and you're going to make a poor dude in Bolivia pay back a loan to you when you could just pay for his school. It's like, well, that's not self-reliant, blah, blah, blah. And whatever. My point is, is that the church can and should be held to a higher level of criticism for what they claim to be. So those are two things that I was thinking about the church literally could end world hunger 
they want us to be proud of their uh, accomplishments, like in, in deferring loan payments and what have you. I think ultimately the maybe the most significant uh, comment that was made recently was from the leaders of the NAACP because church leaders are like, you see, like, look, or, or church members, especially like we, the church is meeting with, with the NAACP. They're not racist. Nelson said to end racism, although he's not looking inward. The, the funny thing is, is that the church uh, or BYU created like this diversity p- inclusion panel thing, which is great, but they're supposed to... Sorry, I got a call. I, I, the, the, I think the last thing I said was that the church uh, or BYU created a panel that was supposed to get like root out racism once and for all in its policies and what have you. And my, my point is, how could they do that when the church itself won't even root out racism in its own texts? in its own teachings, in its own leaders. They won't do it. And so BYU can't do something the church is unwilling to do. Anyway, the uh, NAACP says they, I mean, it was such a fantastic quote. Uh, I just pulled in, so I'm, I'm going to leave soon. But uh, So this will be a short one, but I just wanted to get it out. I love this. The NAACP, this is a spokesman authorized to speak for the group, is looking forward to the church doing more to undo the 150 years of damage they did to how they treated African-Americans in the church. They said, uh, since the relationship formalized just two years ago, both organizations have learned much about one another. Oh, this was the church spokesman. (laughs) But yeah, of course, they're trying to make it seem good. Um, Hold on. Both groups have learned from the past. Both of us have been willing to listen and learn from each other. And then this part, but there seems to be no willingness on the part of the church to do anything material. He looks forward to their quote deeds, matching their words. He said, it's time for now. Sorry, I got cut off again. It's time now for more than sweet talk is how he finished. So my, the point is the NAACP knows the church has billions. They know the church needs to do more than coming up with a, a training, you know, uh, some help in some small way. And, and I think that's the fair expectation. I think we should be holding these people to higher standards, um, because they have set that standard. If we want to hold them to lower standards, then we should change the rhetoric around their role and what the church really is and who prophets really are. So anyway, that's my thought for today. Uh, would love to hear what you guys have. Hey, thanks for listening to that uh, episode. Sorry about the multiple different parts. It's what happens when you're doing a janky recording on your iPhone. And uh, yeah, but I I did just want to maybe close by saying thanks again for all of you that are listening and sharing. And hopefully it's been meaningful. If you have anything you'd like me to talk about, um, I'd I'd love to get that feedback. Um, I also just wanted to finish by saying, you know, I brought up that fast or the too fast that we're done. And I just think it's so funny to me. I Wasn't that supposed to like end the pandemic? Why, why are we still in a pandemic? I don't know. And wasn't it supposed to like work or something? Don't we have like priesthood that can like stop this or? I don't, I don't know. It just seems interesting to me. Oh, and also, um, why two of them? Like, did God need more suffering from his church members in order to listen. 
doesn't God just listen to prayers normally? Is isn't fasting saying, "Hey, you're you don't hear our prayers unless we're suffering"? That seems kind of unhealthy. So, anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.